want to give you guys a couple things to pray about this week. It's on our little little sheet here. Uh, there's a there's a grandmother named Mary that sits like usually right around there. She had a stroke two days ago, and her name is Mary Gonzalez. I got to see her yesterday at Swedish, and uh, just pray for her. She did, there's a lot of recovery that needs to happen. So if you could just put Mary Gonzalez into your list of prayers, in your list of prayers, and please do. And of course, for baby Zeke Chavez, continued healing. He was not even supposed to make it. He's 50 days in. He's looking healthy. He's smiling. Yeah. Super excited for that. And I just want to thank just all the guests here and just the glad that you guys are here. We've been going through this series called Emotionally healthy spirituality and some of you guys i know you guys don't want to go through this because like i don't want to deal with my emotions right but uh i just know that there's a lot of health that is coming out of this you know we're going under the iceberg to see what's going on underneath and allowing jesus into the parts that we don't want to allowing jesus into all the parts of our life and so uh, if you have your bibles please turn to philippians chapter 2 all right i'm gonna do it one more time all right i need help we celebrate the word of god because the word of god reveals jesus and jesus changes our lives so turn to philippians chapter two all right the, like five percent better that's great that's great i love the five percent effort but we're, we're gonna move on right but we, we're coming to a culmination of this series we're not just like ending we're coming to a culmination like why john are we going through why are why do i need to dig through my past why am i going through all these looking beneath the surface uh trying to get emotional awareness of why i'm crazy you know why are you doing that right why are we number two breaking the power of our past if you want to do that next slide why are we doing that breaking the power of our past understanding our families understanding the sins that generationally move through our families our past the things that shape us we were just i was talking to a friend of mine how like alcoholism can go from one generation to the next right and i was talking to someone even yesterday how like uh, adultery even moves in that way there's certain sins in our lives that we see generationally and we're like why i want us to break that power of our past the things that shape us right number three living in brokenness and vulnerability living in brokenness and vulnerability walking in honesty rather than pretense right there and then uh courageous vulnerability right that's what we called it number four gift of limits god has given you giftings and god has given you limits think about that for a moment you cannot do everything you want right there's limits to your actions there's limits to your gifting i am no good at many things right and if i can try my best and train myself i will be a five at like these things i am no good at like just i'm gonna tell you i am no good at organizing things i'm like and i've tried i've tried for the last like 10 years trying to be this organizational head it's not me right i can like vision well and i can i can ask people i can motivate but uh, putting things structurally is not my best and i did it for 10 years i'm like what am i doing i'm gonna ask julie to help me i even asked her like julie help me with meetings and she like wrote out five things real quick and i was like julie you should run the meetings right that's what i was thinking the other day and then and then receiving those gifts and saying thank you god for the limits that you have on my life instead of saying why am i not like them why am i not like julie god why am i so john right here right not getting mad about my limits but embracing them and lastly embracing grief and loss and that's why hannah spoke about last week 
and it was so good. Embracing grief well, loss well. And if you missed it, please catch up online, which leads us to today. It's a culmination. All of that leads us today. Why? Why do you want me to do all this, John? So that, so that, say so that, we can love well in all of life. Loving well. Heart, mind, soul, strength. Heart, mind, soul, strength. Embodying, just embodying this model of Jesus from a place of health, humility, and honesty. Because Jesus does not only save us from the penalty of sin, but he saves us into, uh, it, it saves us from also the power of sin into something, into a newness of life, a new life to take us out of something, just like a postman, he takes something out of something, but he delivers it. He delivers us into something, into life, into love, into purpose, if for God's glory, for our good and the good of others, to love Thornton well. I want us as this church to love Thornton well, your families well, your neighbors well, your workplace well, allowing the Holy Spirit through you to invade dark places and broken places all over that we see. And with that, I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in to our scripture. Heavenly Father, speak boldly today. Help me speak boldly. Help me be most John as possible, God. Not being someone else, Lord God. The way you made us under, your, under the submission of you, God. I pray right now for many people in this room that all these things about emotional health bring us to a place of culmination, Lord, to a place that we will learn to love like you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. I'm going to start reading Philippians 2, 1 to 8. It's, it's, all right, thank you, yeah. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So the author, Paul, the apostle Paul, he's writing this. He said, look right here. Don't miss this next part. If you need encouragement, if you need comfort, you got to get a hold of this. It says in verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. So be united, he's saying. And then he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which divides us. It makes us you versus me, right? But it says rather, say rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to each of you, to the interest of others. He's saying practice that. And then verse 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And what is this mindset? He describes it. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He could have used it for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That is what he wants our mindset like. This is like wow kind of love. This is crazy, but this is our impetus. This is our joy complete, our guiding light, our motivation, our direction. Look no further, I mean this, look no further than Jesus who is God entering into our skin, our flesh, our story, our limits. And then on the cross, he gives his life for our life so that we can have his life where heaven meets earth. 
That's what you are, church. We as the church, we might not know it yet, we are where heaven meets earth. The way we live, the kingdom that we live out, the family we belong to is Jesus' family. And where we go and what we do is where heaven meets earth. And it's not easy, right? It wasn't heaven meets earth when I was arguing with my wife two nights ago for about an hour straight. That was good, right? I was like, why are we? And, and me, I don't want to argue. So I'm like, let's not talk. She's like, we're talking. I was like, I don't want to talk. I'm going to say mean things. She's like, Go ahead, say mean things. I'm like, this is, I'm a pastor. I'm going to say something, you know, I want to use some sort of scripture against her. But it's like, ah, you know, it's like so crazy. Like sometimes you think everything is put together and heaven is not meeting earth. And you're like, what's going on? But God is giving us, he's training us, he's teaching us. We're looking to Jesus and we're not doing things out of a selfish ambition, right? Or vain conceit, right? See, this moment where Jesus comes down, becomes man, dies on the cross, is called the incarnation. Say incarnation. Incarnation, right? Yeah. Incarnation means in the flesh. In the flesh. Who likes prime rib around here? Anyone like prime rib? Right? Yeah. I love meat. Anyone else? Prime rib? Yeah, all over the place. Like, I really love prime rib. And, and, and the word uh, I think about when I think about incarnation is carne asada. I don't know about you. I think about food. And I know I shouldn't think about Jesus when I'm thinking about food, but it means in the flesh. But the word carne from carne asada is just like incarnation. It means meat. So Jesus is in the meat, Right? And I was just thinking, I was like, Mike, can you bring me some of that prime rib from yesterday? And I was just smelling it. It was warmed up too, right? This is prime rib from yesterday. And I was like, but he cut it up. I wanted one piece, Mike. But uh, I was thinking, any, anyone want some prime rib right now? Anyone? I was like, maybe. You should start. You want to eat it? All right. I just want you to eat it. Enjoy it, the whole thing. Here, take the whole plate. I even brought a fork and a knife, and you can just eat as people are listening, right? Just eat. It's good. It's tasty, right? We nuked it a little, maybe a little overcooked right now because we nuked it, but it's, it's very tasty. Jesus came in the meat, in the meat. So when Jesus People saw and heard God, they smelled and touched God, they experienced and tasted heaven in the meat. In John 1.14, it says, the word, Logos God, Jesus, became flesh, one of us, and made his dwelling among us. Say dwelling. That's a huge important word for us, right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Yeah, just eat that up. Just enjoy it. Let everyone smell that. Yeah, it's, it smells awesome. In the words of Eugene Peterson, he says this, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhoods. Think about that for a moment. This is how God loves us and is teaching us how to love well, incarnationally. See, there's this story, and, uh, and uh, it's going to go into a serious note right away, of course. But I'm going to read you a story out of this book called uh, The Emotionally Healthy Church. And um, he, he writes about um, Martin Luther King. The year is 1963. Just think about it in your mind's eye. The city is Birmingham. It's vastly segregated place. Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. 
arrives as he leads a peaceful demonstration against racial injustice. The city sheriff, however, secures a court injunction and makes it this march that he's coming to, this perfectly legal march, somehow he makes it illegal in Birmingham. So on this day, Martin Luther King, he knows the cost, that if he marches, he's going to be sent to jail, but he does it anyway. And while he's in jail, he's been sent to jail, and you see this picture, and he's, it's his mugshot right there. And while he's in jail, he's given the Birmingham News, the newspaper, and the newspaper contains letters addressed to him from eight pastors and a rabbi. They argue with Pastor King, and he says, you should have been more patient, they said, with the situation at hand. And so he responded, which we know today in American literature as a letter from Birmingham jail. And I want to read you a part of this. And I, I actually can't make it through without crying. It's already messing me up. But this is what he writes to them. I guess it's easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen a hate-filled policeman curse, kick, brutalize, and even kick your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothered in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to a public amusement park that has just been advertised on TV and see her tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that fun town is closed to colored children and see the depressing clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in an uncomfortable corners of your car because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated in, day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. When your first name becomes the N-word, I won't even say it because it bu bugs me, and your middle name becomes boy however old you are. When your wife and mother are never given the respected title of Mrs., when you are harassed by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never knowing what to expect next, and plagued with this inner fears and outer resentments when you are forever fighting a denigrating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. Dr. King wanted those religious leaders of that city to take their shoes off just for one moment and truly walk in the shoes of an African-American that day. In other words, incarnation. Incarnation. We cannot love well 
until we're willing to come out of our literal physical comforts to meet people where they are, to incarnate. See, Jesus teaches us that incarnation is our model to love well. And incarnational love is the greatest command and the primary role of the church. I believe this. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus writes, he tells us, he speaks, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. And that sounds doable. I can love people, right? I can love people. I can be nice. I can take care of people, right, when I can. I can take care of people when I can. I can be good people. But look how he qualifies love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. That's how he qualifies it. Now, that's a whole different kind of love, isn't it? I can be loving, but when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, that's a whole nother level of loving. It's sacrificial love that costs us personally, a love that is uncomfortable. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It finishes, by this, say, by this. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone everywhere will know that you are mine, my disciples, my family, my followers, my students, not by knowing all the right things or passionately worshiping, which are good things or perfect theology or wearing enough Christian swag like I'm doing today, right? But by our love for each other right here, Listen, contrary to what many might think, love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We love when we don't feel it. It's hard to love people when we don't like them. Isn't it true? But we don't like people mostly because they're not like us. Think about this for a moment. It's easy to love people like us, right? And, we, we, and it's easy to connect to people like us. It's, it's just true. We're connected by commonality. You love fashion? I love fashion, right? You love, like, Post Malone? I like Post Malone, right? Like, you love music? I love music. Oh, man, I, I like you so much, right? It's, it's, it's easy to like people when they're like us, right? Which we are feeling this commonality. So it's a love of feeling. You are like me, so I like you because I really like me. Think about that. That's a love of commonality. You are like me, so I like you because I really like me. It's so true. It's so easy. We don't think of it that way. But we connect in commonality. But love goes further, Loving goes further, it goes beyond feeling it, into action and truth. We, we love because he first loved us. Christian love is motivated and sustained by Jesus' love. Christian love is motivated, not when you feel it, and sustained, enduring, by understanding Jesus' love. Also, love is not a thing. So love is also not tolerance. We've been taught if you disagree with someone, you hate them right? Especially in our political system right now. Oh man, you're like that? I don't love you. I don't like you, right? You can't be one of us, especially online culture. And that's just not true. 
right? You can disagree and still love. You do all the time. If you have kids, you do. If you have any relationship, you don't agree on 100% of things. Jesus loved, you, loved us, yet he disagreed with us. God loves you right now in your sin, in your bad decisions, in your lack of love. Yet he still desires you in his family. Love God's way is always sacrificial. It's incarnational. We step in. It's generous. And I wrote here, this deep sacrificial community of God's love for one another is the primary way God speaks and expresses his love to our world. Think about that. Showing that God is with us and we are with God. Jesus hinges everything on this love. By this, they will know that you are my disciples for your love for one another. But what does that look like in your life and mine, right? How can we participate in this incarnational loving well? And I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I asked, right? <laughs> Number one, I want you to write this down, right? Loving well means listening well. It's, and I, I, was, I was asking myself, John, are you a good listener? I'm like, sometimes, right? Sometimes. Listening well is hard. James 1.19 says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, Christians, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You have two ears and one mouth, people used to always tell me because I talk too much, right? So you should do twice as much listening than talking. Listening is so vital to love. And true listening means entering into someone's world, knowing their story, their reality, hearing their victories and their defeats. Listening means, listening, I just put it up there. Listening means listening. What do you, what do you mean listening means? You are not trying to figure out your greatest comeback for what they're saying. You are not trying to figure out the best advice for them. Your first priority is listening. It is the person in front of you, and that's really hard. But people desire to be heard. Jesus listened and loved well. And you see it all over the gospel. From the blind man, Bartimaeus, he was just listening. From Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman at the well, he just listened. He was listening. Jesus was present. He wasn't distracted. He even sent his disciples away so he could listen. Listen to her questions. Let her be heard and explore her story so that he can love her and bring truth. I'm a typical man. I always think people need my advice always right i was in the uh, the other day my wife was telling me stuff and i'm like preparing my advice and i'm like shut up you're writing a whole sermon on listening and you're not listening right i was like preparing i was like oh yeah you got that let me write this down i got something for you yeah she shakes her head don't shake your head babe listen no i'm just messing it's not good this is not a good day Most people need space and grace for you, us to be, to be heard and for us to listen. Because in our world, being heard and really known is very rare. It's very rare. And some people are harsh towards you because they feel like they're not heard or not known. To be heard is gold. It really is. Love by listening. Number two, loving well means slowing down. This is going to be for all of us. Breathe in right now. Breathe out. 
we don't even breathe that our eye watches or Apple watches tell us to breathe, right? We are not even good at breathing. <laughs> That's very interesting. It's like, your oxygen level is low. It's like, you should breathe. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm forgetting to breathe. We're in such a rush. We're not even breathing. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a hurry, people no longer become people. They become obstacles. Don't they? When I'm trying to get somewhere, you're like, you're an obstacle or you're an opponent. When I come up on the line and I'm driving and someone's next to me and I know it's going to turn in, I have to beat them. I don't know why. Everything is this race that we're on. When I'm in a hurry, my kids so annoy me. They do. And I don't want, I don't want questions to be asked. It's easier for me to treat them harshly. When I'm rushing to a meeting... I get road rage, and I'm yelling at strangers that I don't know. I don't know how their day is going. And when I'm busy, I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad friend, neighbor, Christian, because hurry dehumanizes people. They no longer are images of God, rather obstacles and quotas, projects instead of people, things we need to fix, right? Hurry kills deep relationships. Relationships take time. You can't love well until you learn to dwell. Isn't that what it says before? Dwelling. Dwell well. Dwell in someone's story. Dwell with someone's shock. This, I was with Mary the other, yesterday, just sitting there holding her hand. And I just, I just held her hand and just told her I loved her. And we just dwelled there for about an hour. I held her hand until she fell asleep. And sometimes to love someone, it takes a while. Sometimes there's so much damage going on, they just want to know that they're not, you're not just checking in and checking out. You're dwelling. You're dwelling. You're listening to their story over barbecue for hours, and you're just enjoying one another's company. You're just dwelling. Hurry keeps us from dwelling. Dwell in someone's story. Dwell in someone's shock, right? Sadness. Listen to their broken dreams. Grief and even joy. And this takes time. Hurry also keeps you on a treadmill. And listen here. You run so fast, but are you going anywhere? Trying to sprint a marathon. Guess what happens when you try to sprint the marathon? I can't even sprint a mile. I can't think of a marathon, all right? I can walk a mile, but sprinting a mile is a bad idea, right? It's a bad idea because you're going to burn out. You're going to redline. You can't grow and mature in your faith in Christ in a hurry. We want to. We're like, Jesus, what's the hack for me to mature? He's like, just read a little. Sit there in prayer. What's the fastest way I can pray? Just by sitting there and praying. Is there anything else I can do other than prayer? Nope. Nope. I was reading this book, and it says, you know what? Prayer is the only thing that's purely spiritual. No one's good at it. I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks for writing that, right? Because prayer is always hard because it's spiritual. It's the one thing that you have no skills in. You're coming, and you're just waiting with God, and you're having this conversation, and you're asking, and you're just being, dwelling. And that's what God asks for us because he's like, you think you need a certain skill. I just want you to stay here with me. 
Pray with me. Some of us feel this today. Pete Scazzaro, this, this writer of this book, he writes, Sadly, like so many people in our churches, I was stuck. I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same thing over and over again. I call that arrested development, right? Hurry keeps us arrested. It does, right? Hurry keeps us on this treadmill. And lastly, when you stay on that too long, hurry burns you out. I didn't put that up there, but it burns. Oh, I did. I've refreshed it. Hurry burns you out. Burnout, it burns out your calling. It really does burn out your passion. It burns out your relationships. It burns out your marriage. It burns out your goals, your faith, your love for God. Hurry is the anti-great commission. It is the anti-great command. Hurry is being anti-human. You turn into a robot. You're just, have you ever worked so much in a week that you, all you did was work? And you do that a couple times, you're going to start losing your mind. Because you understand, you are not a robot. Yet so many people are trying to be robots and wondering why they're burning out. Because that ain't you. That's what Rocky would say to you. That's not you. You're not made that way. You were made in the image of God. Not just to be processed. Not to be jumped into the matrix. Hurry is believing I am God of my life. That's what hurry is really saying. I have to do this. I have to control this. I got this, God. You can't. No, I can't trust you here. I got this, God. I'm the God of my life. I can, if I can just, just do more, have more, control more, whatever your more is, then I'll be happy, we say. And that's the great lie. That's the great lie. From the beginning, from Adam, that was the great lie. He wanted to be God of his life. He wanted to take over. That was what happened in Babel. And it's all over from the Bible from the beginning to end is people in a hurry trying to outpace God. Abraham outpaced God. Moses tries to outpace God and then gets stuck in the wilderness. Abraham has Ishmael, right? All throughout the Bible, just look, everyone is trying to outpace God and God's like, can't do it. I won't let you. Can we slow down and walk and talk and dwell and run at a pace that God has us? So that we don't burn out. Because when we're running in a hurry, we get deflated, we're incomplete, we're hardened, and we're numb. When you are starting to feel numb, there's stuff going on. There's stuff going on that you got to check back in. And as we close today, I know we live in a world of hurry. And it's not easy to slow down. I understand. It's not easy to slow down because everyone else is in a hurry. You're like, should I be in a hurry? Because they're in a hurry. But we gotta, we got to break normal. Normal is not working. Depression is skyrocketing. Suicide is skyrocketing. All these things that we think are making us happy are not making us happy. We're following God in the same rhythm as our culture, and it doesn't work that way. Our story, you can't listen to someone's story in fast pace. I'm horrible. I read books or I listen to books at two speed, right? I'm like, and it's probably about a book about slowing down, right? It's like, you really have to slow down. It's like, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I really do have to slow down, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm insane. And I'm like, John, listen to it slow at one speed. And I hate it. I'm like, why do you talk so slow? It's because that's how I talk, <laughs> right? That's how they talk. You ever in a conversation with someone and you're like, go, Ricardo, right? It's because we are so in a rush 
We can't even dwell with someone for a moment. Have you ever felt that with your kids? They have this long story and they add everything to the story and you're like. And you know what's so crazy? When someone taught me a long time ago and I, I share with you, if you want to know what's going on in your children's life or in anyone's life, sit with them for about 15 to 30 minutes. Let them talk and they'll start just opening up. That's what I do with my children. I give them at least 15 minutes because they won't want to talk to me up front. They're, they're too f- cool for school, right? But after 15 minutes, you're like, you know, this kid's really bugging me or I'm really dealing with this. It is only when you slow down and jump into their story can you get the full story. Hurry kills that sort of relationship. And as we close, let us be reminded, I'm going to read it over you. I'm going to read this text over you. Jesus, who being God, very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who is God, humbled himself. I think about that quite a bit. He stepped into our shoes and he gave his life for us. We serve a God who chooses to serve us a self-giving love. And how shall we respond to that, that incarnational love? I pray that we step out. Let us choose to step out of our place of position and comfort and posture ourselves like Jesus in humility and unhurried grace. Unhurried grace. Not a time limit of grace. You just got, you have this much time with me. Not a time limit of grace, but unhurried grace. Incarnational living is to love well. And when we received, if we have received the grace of God, we give that same love by grace. Not by likeness feeling, not by earning it. Christian love is always tied back to Jesus. Church, Hill City, friends, love well. Love well. But what you need to know is that Jesus loves you. I read that that scripture of incarnation because he stepped into our world so he could understand what we were going through and show us and love us well. He stepped into our shoes. He loves you. He loves you. Tell your neighbor Jesus loves you. If you don't believe in Jesus, say, I think Jesus loves you, you know? Right? There's some people who are still in the midst of things. But I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And if we can grasp onto that and really enter in and dwell with Him, we will also begin to love well. Let's pray. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. I challenge you this week. First, before our eyes closed and head bowed, first I want you to think about Jesus this week. Look at Jesus looking back at you with love. Read Philippians 2 again, 1 to 8, and reflect and pray about Jesus and his incarnation, him becoming, coming in the flesh. And second, 
just schedule one hour in your schedule somewhere to enter into someone else's life, someone else's world. We're going to do that at community table tomorrow at 6 o'clock. What that was is we saw a relational poverty in Thornton, and we said, you know what? What if we just opened up a table where people can dine together? And that's it. We're going to just eat together, right? And listen to each other's stories to love well. Maybe if you can't come to community table, go out with a coworker this week and even pay for it. Treat a neighbor to Starbucks and sit there even if you don't like Starbucks coffee. Turn off your phone, slow down, and listen. Dive into their story, their victories, and their pains. And you don't even need to post it on Instagram, right? Just incarnate. Be present. Be with them. Love well. Heavenly Father, I pray over our church, Lord. You said a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are mine by your love for one another. Jesus, in this room, help us love each other better, Lord God. That is our greatest witness, Lord God. Let us take care of each other. If we have a connection to a job, let us offer it. If we have connection to things that we have, Lord God, let us offer it. If we have an extra whatever, Lord God, an extra meal, let's deliver it, God. But let us jump into other people's world. And I pray that throughout this week, we would jump into Mary's world, Lord God, praying for her, taking care of her, praying for Savan, her grandson, Lord God, and her family, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, let us learn to think about how we're loved by you and then unleashing that love into our world and to one another, Lord God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we be that sort of people. Jesus, incarnational love sort of people. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. How are you guys? Good? Well, happy Sunday. We're going to just have the ushers come forward. Um, and we're just going to give. And just know that... Uh, our heart is to give to our community. Um, our heart is to give to things that we see, needs that we see um, right around us. And so thank you for giving towards that. Um, and just know that it makes a difference. So we'll just pray real quick. Dear God, thank you so much for each person here, God. I pray that this week that you would give us opportunities to love, um, to show your love in a different way, God. Even even if it's different for us, and even if it takes us taking a step of faith um, that is not the same, that you would just give us those opportunities. I thank you for each person here, that you would just bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, just a couple announcements. John mentioned it. We have community table uh, tomorrow night. You are invited. This is your official invite. Do not say that you do not have an opportunity to have community in our church. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, this is an opportunity for you to come. This is an opportunity for you to bring your family, friends, neighbors. Um, they don't have to believe to come and eat dinner with us. Um, I think uh, this is something that's a huge passion of Monica and Rico's, and we're so excited for it. Um, but it's an opportunity to say just like, 
come and hang out with me and let's share our story together. Let's eat tacos tomorrow night. So um, we would love to have you there. So that's tomorrow night at six right here at the church. It's just from six to seven. So even if it's super painful for you because um, you don't like to talk to people or eat, then it's only an hour. So it's great. <laughs> Um, then Secret Church is a Sunday, a week from today, on the 24th. Um, it's something that we've done for probably at least five, six years now. And for our Thanksgiving service, we love to reflect and just think about the persecuted church around the world. So it'll be a little bit of a different setting, um, a super uh, chill acoustic set. And um, we will just talk about um, the people across the world that don't really have an opportunity to come into a church building and worship together. And so it's a really neat service. You should join us. Um, and then lastly, we are looking for additional people to help with our welcome team. Uh, we really feel like it is very important for us to be able to welcome new people um, in a very effective way and for them to get connected easily. So if you're interested in helping with that, Hannah will be out in the back and um, you can chat with her and then we'll have a training um, time for that. So I think that's it. Oh, and then um, Operation Christmas. I'm not sure. Okay. Shipping. Okay, Operation Christmas. So the Hill City Kids is, um, they're actually packing little boxes today with lots of uh, things in them. And all of you guys have been so gracious to donate. The sign up was like full. I was so impressed. Thank you. Um, so they send it to overseas countries of kids that might not even get gifts for Christmas. So it's such a neat organization. But we still need some funds to ship the boxes. So if you weren't able to help with the sign up with the products, then you can totally give money at the welcome table outside or um, you can always uh, write it on an envelope um, in the back of your chair and just say it's for Operation Christmas Shipping. So thank you guys so much for giving towards that. I'm excited for that. Um, so we'll just pray and then we will go home. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you for these people. God, in that um, they're not just people that we do church with, God. They're family, God. And I just thank you that you have blessed um, each one of us with each other. And so I pray as we go this week that you would just guide our steps, give us wisdom. And um, we love you and we thank you for what you want to do in us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed.